Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics. And welcome to the latest episode of the Robots Podcast. I am Jana, and today we are revisiting last year's Human Robotics Conference InnoRobo, a conference to showcase innovation in robotics. Our interviewer, Audra Nash, spoke to representatives from several companies at the 2015 InnoRobo event. These included chats with RB3D on exoskeletons, with Balio on warehouse automation, with Kawada Robotics on humanoids, with Partnering Robotics on indoor air quality control, and with IRT Jules Verne on manufacturing robotics. So let's have a listen to what they had to say. Hi, can you introduce yourself? Yeah, hello, I'm uh, Olivier Baudet from uh, RB3D, and I'm uh, the business development manager for this company. Can you introduce me to the company? Yeah. Uh, RB3D is a company who is dedicated to multiply human capability. We are offering solutions to enhance people's strengths. Now tell me about what you have set up at the exhibition booth. Yeah. So we have two uh, different kinds of products. The first one is called uh, Cobot, which is a robotic arm that is driven by men and that uh, helps uh, doing uh, grinding operations uh, for a long time without suffering about pain or strenuous tasks. Mm-hmm. The other uh, kind of product is an exoskeleton, who, which is a, a prototype uh, on uh, application there is to um, support on uh, lift uh, heavy loads for, uh, for example, manipulating loads in the industry. Mm-hmm. And to clarify, the exoskeleton is only a lower body exoskeleton. Yeah, for but the time being, the we person have a... can put a weight on uh, about at about hip level. Yeah, and just set it on a little table that pops out. Yeah, re- correct. For the time being, we have developed the legs, which are uh, the basis to have uh, to have the upper parts ready. So what we show here is the legs plus a support structure that helps to have. Like, for example, a cement bag of 25 kilograms supported by the exoskeleton. In the coming future, we will add additional accessories to these legs, uh, maybe arms, maybe others, mm-hmm. that will help to have uh, a prehension of, uh, on the handling of additional uh, parts, like metallic parts, like other kind of products that have to be handled every day in the factories. Yes. And so both of these products have a similar element. And that would be that they use force sensing to determine what the user's intentions are. And then they move to that and kind of just, uh, you get the torque and everything of the electric motors. And that's correct, right? Yes, correct. We measure and we determine what we call the intention. Yes. uh, In in fact, behind the intention is measuring strength on torques that the user is giving to the machine. And we amplify this to give him additional capacity mm-hmm. or to understand what is his intention to move forward or to move backwards or to move sideways. Yes. So the exoskeleton legs, uh, can you tell me a bit about the force sensing in them? You mentioned yeah. it was in the feet when we spoke earlier. Exactly. We have uh, force sensors into the feet, uh, which helps us to measure and to determine whether 
the wall feet, half the feet or no uh, part of the feet is uh, um, put to the ground. And then we determine the way of the relative leg has to, de- to, uh, has to work or has to behave uh, with regards to the capacity of the machine to move forward. And so the user puts their foot uh, into, it's kind of like a bike um, harness for your foot that has like toe straps and that kind of thing. So you can sense force in different directions, correct? Yes, correct. But the main direction still has to be the uh, uh, Z direction, either up Up. or down direction. Because Mm -hmm. the the, the wall uh, um, uh, sensor system is more or less useful to determine whether your foot is down or not. Yes. Now, so the only force sensing is in the foot? Yes. What about if the user wants to bend at the hips, uh, or bend at the knees to lower their hips? He can, of course. But Because the machine is following your movement. And that comes from sensing in the feet? Uh, no, it's, it's a different feature. Uh, you, the waist of the body is fixed to the machine as well. On there, you still have one or two kilograms of machine weight which is dedicated to your body. So when you go down, this is uh, acting like uh, an auto-equilibrating system and the machine follows you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the machine doesn't look like it has um, variable length legs, as in, how do you adjust it for someone who is 176 centimeters versus two meters? Interesting question. Interesting question. There, we have designed the machine, as you can see, the knees are not linked to the knees of the body. So it means if you have somebody who has short legs, the machine knees will go forward. On the height of the machine, we are adjust. If you have somebody who has long length, then the knees of the machine will move like this, and you have uh, the exoskeleton legs that will be more vertical. And there we can support 15 uh, centimeters variation in size between the minimum and the maximum size you must have to use this machine. And so the legs going forward, does that compromise what kind of spaces you can move within? I was thinking of this device for like construction application, but if I have to carry a bag of cement that's 25 kilograms yeah. upstairs or something in a house, yeah. uh, would the machine be in my way? Or is that a different application? What do you mean? Uh, I'm asking where would this be used and will its size limit where it can be used? Well, for the time being, what we have thought is that the machine width, the machine A, is inside the limits which are, let's say, usually accepted for circulating into halls and corridors. Yes. So you can access everywhere with this kind of machine. So I can go upstairs? Yes, of course. You can climb stairs, you can go downstairs, no problem. Interesting. And so what kind of customers uh, do you you have already? Yeah, for this machine, it's a prototype. So yes. for the time being, we have no customer, no real customers. I mean, we have not sold any or final you, product. Where do you have interest then? Yes, of course, we have partners that are here to uh, help us to develop the right uh, solutions for their businesses. Uh, the main example is the company uh, Colas, which is a subsidiary of a French uh, construction group, Bouygues. And this company has decided to uh, go with us into a project to develop a specific version of this exoskeleton for a specific topic they need. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome.
Hi, can you introduce yourself and your company? Hi, so I'm Baptiste Moget, the marketing communication manager uh, from Valio, which is a robotic company, French company, uh, founded in uh, 2005. And our business is to automatize uh, standard electric trucks for material handling. Can you tell me a bit about what you have set up at the exhibition booth? So today we exhibit uh, robots uh, from Fenwick Robotics. It's a cooperation uh, between uh, Linde Material Handling and our company, Balio. And we're introducing a robotic stacker, which is moving pallets from a point to another point uh, autonomously. Mm -hmm. And what does it look like? Uh, Basically, uh, it's a very standard truck um, that we equip with um, a navigation laser, 3D camera for safety, uh, another laser for uh, front safety, another laser for uh, backward safety. And uh, yeah, we've got uh, pretty much uh, three or four sensors that help us to navigate and being productive uh, safely. I see. And just to describe it a bit further, it's basically a forklift. Exactly. Uh, but it's only the front of a forklift because there's no need for the spot for a driver. Uh, so you just have the pallet lifting part in the front. Part yeah, that it, is, it is a very standard forklift. So yes. you can take it manually or you can use it both automatic and... Oh, yes? Yeah, you've got both, uh, both modes. And so you've retrofitted a forklift platform with electronics and made it autonomous yeah exactly ah, so you guys so, so you can use this truck manually we just uh, put the move box uh, automation kit all the sensors but at the very beginning it's a standard truck so I see do you know some of the challenges of interfacing with the standard uh, truck so basically it takes for us to to have a, 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 a to get a standard truck to, uh, to a robotic truck, it takes us like six months to develop everything, and then we have the robotic truck. But I see. And so, but you're controlling the knobs and everything that a human would control. Yeah. If they were driving it. Yeah, exactly. And you're using all of the sensor systems on there to figure out what the environment is. Exactly. And so, why so many lasers? Because um, so some of them are, are normative. So are what normative? What do you mean by that? Uh, it's uh, mandatory to have them for the safety. This one, it's normative. Okay, I see. So uh, the, for instance, the European uh, standards or the American standards uh, push us. Uh, I don't know how to say that, but it's mandatory for us to have this from safety, for instance. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. So, uh, why do we use uh, as many sensors as you can see? It's just because we need to have a robot very safe. Our customers are asking for it, and that's their first uh, question. Is it safe? So, we have to make it safe. 100% sure. I see. And so, other than vision or other than lasers is there a vision system on there so we've got this 3d camera it's a very disruptive technology so basically um, it's a volume detection okay so compared to a classic laser uh, is it like it's a vision and it allows us to see the volume and thanks to this camera the when you have an obstacle 
the truck can take the decision autonomously to go uh, follow its path or not, or not, if there is an obstacle. You know what I mean? Yes. Okay. One thing that's interesting to me about your display is there are no lines or anything on the ground that the robot yeah, is following. Yeah, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, that's our very... Like, that's our innovation. Nobody in the whole world can make it except us in this business, I mean. So, basically, it's uh, infra- uh, infrastructure-free navigation technology. So And the, the motivation behind that is you're not adding complexity to an already we have, complex we, system of we need, supply chain yeah, management? Exactly. Okay. We need to be very flexible. The supply chain needs uh, robots, uh, flexible robots, uh, to do the job. So, we don't, we don't need any infrastructure to navigate. And uh, we just use the uh, warehouse environments, such as walls, columns, machines, that we use uh, as a reference uh, to follow our path. So is it? do you need a prior map, or is it...? Yeah, so when we get in a new place, we take the truck manually for an hour, for instance, mm. and we're going to record everything, the walls, the columns, the racks, and we drink this map, okay, and we're using it as a reference. We put this map in the robot's brain, and yes. then it's comparing in, re- in real time what it's seeing to its uh, reference map. How do you do people detection or that kind of thing? Can, can a human be in the same environment as these forklifts? Yeah, that's what uh, robotics is about. That's our vision. I mean, yeah, but uh, we, we need to, to have robots col- uh, collaborating with uh, humans because... Those robots can do the whole human uh, work or job. You know what I mean? Yes. So we have, we've got those robots. We've got uh, the trucks, manual trucks with the drivers. And they cooperate in the same area safely. So does it just view a human as an obstacle and then it avoids it or shuts, stops moving? Yeah, exactly. So it can slow down. We have a, a dynamic uh, safety system. So it can slow down if it sees you like far away, and then it's going to stop if you if you get in a, um, a security, uh, safety zone. Yes. We have uh, several uh, safety zones. I see different tiers yeah, of exactly. how it'll yeah, behave. Exactly. Okay. Now, what about? Uh, is there anything that recognizes, say, the human's gestures or anything? So, if the human is to hold out its hand and say "stop," will the device stop before it gets to a? sector or a zone of its behavior that says I should stop at this point so today we or could I say follow me or something like that uh, not not for the moment but uh, we're working on some technologies like this yeah but uh, today uh, an obstacle is an obstacle uh, if it's a machine or human the trucks just thinks that it's an obstacle you know what I mean yes so. and lastly what do people in the work environment think of these? Are they terrified that they're taking their jobs, or no. are they happy for uh, these to move products around, or it changes by where they are in the well, it, company? It, it depends on the of the customers, but uh, uh, our job is also to prove people that they can collaborate with uh, machines. And maybe today they're gonna think they're gonna lose the job, but it's not the the truth because. Companies need to be competitive, and robots, uh, yeah, robots are competitive uh, for the company. I mean, so if you're making money because you're competitive, you're going to hire people and not fire people. I mean, that's the badic of economics. That's what happened. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. 
Would you introduce yourself? Kawada Robotics no Hayashi desu. My name is Hayashi. I work for Kawada Robotics. And would you tell me what you have at the booth? このブースにどんなものがあるのか説明お願いします。このブースには、あの、3台のロボットがあります。2台は工場で使うネクステージというロボットで、もう1台は研究開発用のネクステージオープンというロボットです。So we have three robots that are developed by Kawada Robotics. Uh, it's called Next Stage and the robot on the far right, the last robot is a research robot that is called Next Stage Open. And I see that the robots are making coffee. Would you tell me a bit about that? Well, this is just an example to show what the robot could be making in the back office. So it's just here to show what it can do and maybe give ideas to people of how they could use these robots in their own factories. Now, what kind of sensors are on the robot? I see what I believe is two cameras for a stereoscopic vision. Is that correct? Altogether, there are four cameras, two in the head and one on each arm. So four cameras in total. And does the robot run with its own operating system? With, sorry? Its own operating system? It's an operating system Windows so we use the software we developed ourselves from a Windows base. NX Production. The name of the software is NX Production. And so I see a large box beneath the robot. Is that handling all of the processing? このロボットの下にある大きな箱にはあの全てそういうプロセスするまあ、が含まれてます。この下には2台のコンピューターが入ってて、1台は動作を生成するQNXっていうコンピューター、あとはWindowsのコンピューターで、Windowsのコンピュー
、まあ、Windows を使っているというところとより高精度で動けるところが大きな違いだと思います。The biggest difference between Baxter and NextStage is that NextStage is a lot more precise and it is using Windows. Does, is there any sort of built in compliance so that it's safe to operate around humans? There's nothing special for that. I see. Now, one thing that I find very interesting is that. At the booth, you have paper、uh, for surveys for people to come and fill out to figure out if there's a market for this product, I suspect.、Uh, would you have him comment on this? で今、市場調査を始めているのでフランスでのこのロボットの印象だったり価格の調査だったり使用用途というのを今、マーケットリサーチをしているのでこの展示会を利用してこういったアンケートを行っています。So yes, so far the robot is only sold in Japan for industry. So we are today in this exhibition so we can Uh, have uh, this uh, little questionnaire answered about the robots, how the French do perceive the robots, what they could do, what they expect from the robots. So that's why we are here today, actually. All right, thank you. Hi, can you introduce yourself and your company? Yeah, sure. So my name is、uh, Cyril Lasson. I'm a research engineer in the The company、uh, Partnering Robotics, which is a young、uh, robotics company、uh, who aims at、uh, develop a robot for uh, monitoring uh, uh, indoor environment quality. And、uh, so we have developed a, robot, a mobile robotic platform、uh, who develop、uh, services mainly around two uh, axes. Uh, first, air quality, which is our, the main、uh, service we want to put forward. And also about、uh, energy monitoring, energy consumption. Okay, now why indoor environments? Why indoor environment? Because、uh, we can、uh, act on it. It's very difficult to, to have a, a serious impact if you want to improve uh, uh, outside air quality. Indoor environment is also the responsibility mainly of the uh, people uh, uh, working, for instance, in the office spaces.、Uh, the management will want to provide. Uh, clean environment and healthy environment for the workers. It's the same kind of uh, um, considerations you have to put forward for、uh, museums, schools, or uh, um, um, for instance, we have on、yeah, museums, schools, or hospitals, or uh, uh, healthcare for all elderly people. So, you want to make sure that the environment is acceptable for. Yes, exactly.、People. Exactly. The robot actually、uh, is using a variety of、uh, sensors to detect、uh, various levels of pollutants like、uh, CO2, ozone,、uh, um, small particles, and、uh, organic compounds. So, the robot navigates、uh, autonomously in its environment and can map the various concentrations of、uh, those、uh, different measurements. And also, The robot、uh, is using a filtration system to uh, reduce uh, the concentration of those pollutants if they are detected.、Hmm. Now, would you describe the robot? Well, the robot is、uh, 
Um, the design is um, mainly inspired by uh, uh, R2D2. It it's like a, a non-humanoid, uh, non-animaloid format, and um, it's uh, designed to be uh, easy to fit in uh, uh, the office spaces and also uh, to have a very reliable uh, locomotion. And so, what kind of sensors are on board? Um, Other than environmental sensors. All right. uh, we are using a video camera for navigation, so it is uh, mainly a vision-based navigation. And uh, also we are using uh, uh, ultrasound and uh, infrared sensors for uh, obstacle avoidance. And um, that's uh, mainly that. So vision-based, are you guys using uh, simultaneous localization and mapping and reconstructing Ab your environment? No, absolutely not. This is exactly the opposite approach we have. Uh, instead of using uh, very uh, expensive, very precise but expensive uh, sensors like uh, laser finder and stuff like that. You can use SLAM with just vision, mm -hmm. but yes. Yeah, actually we have uh, not an uh, a priori conception. Uh, we don't need uh, to construct and build a map or anything like that. Uh, we just uh, uh, learn some uh, trajectories and learn some uh, attraction basins to stay inside those trajectories. And so those attraction basins, you basically, are, are you referring to like notable features in the environment? Um, what would you mean as an attraction basin? I'm familiar I, like energy basins for movement, but what do you mean, I mean for navigation? By, okay, uh, what I mean by that is uh, uh, constructing uh, um, um, a set of uh, actions to, uh, to, uh, for the robot to, to do uh, in various places in some of its environment to produce uh, trajectory and not get lost and uh, get out of it. But so how are you, I mean that sounds like motor encoders would give you an approximation of where you well, are, the, but how do you use... Okay, the main issue with uh, using, uh, well the drift is the main issue, so uh, using both uh, information, odometric information and vision based... Uh, Automatric? Uh, 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 information from, coming from the, the coding of the motors. And, uh, info and vision based information allows to uh, have a successful, successful fusion and uh, not get uh, using the, the difficulty of just uh, one of those uh, options. I see. And how large of a space can you navigate? Well, the robot has been successfully deployed in uh, environments of something like a thousand square meters, like uh, large office spaces uh, for something like a hundred people. It has been also been used uh, in uh, museums. So, quite large uh, environments. And it can find its way back? Yeah, sure. I see, to its charging dock. Yeah, of course. The idea is that uh, to be really autonomous, you don't want to have to uh, use a technician to recharge the battery every day. So, it has to be uh, autonomous in that aspect also, yes. So, what kind of places are implementing this? You mentioned hospitals, museums, these kind of things. Where are some actual places that we could see this robot in action? All right. For the moment, uh, the experimentation phase takes place uh, in uh, office spaces. So uh, you won't be able to go there and see the robot in action. But uh, we will be uh, uh, aiming for uh, uh, commercialization uh, at the beginning of 2016. So what's the advantage to this system as opposed to having periodic... Uh, detectors set up, say, like a smoke detector mm -hmm. or carbon monoxide detector? Well, the thing is, uh, it is not only a detection system because it's also purifying the air. So it's not just a sensor uh, 
mobile sensor, but also it acts on and the it, environment. It can significantly reduce the concentration. Yeah, sure, of something. absolutely. This ha- this actually has been verified by independent scientific uh, institutions uh, uh, to uh, evaluate the, the uh, efficiency of uh, both the, the detection aspect, but also of the uh, enhancing of the air quality. Now, so the filtration system, mm-hmm. can you tell me a bit about how it works? Well, actually, it's using uh, uh, various kind of uh, filters. and uh, Is it one kind of filter per each kind of compound that you would be separating from the air? No, no, actually, it's a general purpose filter. But uh, depending on the, the specific environments where we deploy the robots, we might be uh, using very specific filters to answer to specific needs. And so that would require... So do you sell the filters as well? Yeah, or? sure. Huh. sure. So, of course, because it's filter-based, uh, the filters have to be uh, removed and replaced uh, uh, once or uh, in a time. So is this a common thing that some sort of chemicals you don't want are found in the work environment or that kind of thing? Is this a common problem that these are needed in yeah, many offices? Yes, it is. It is a very common problem because air quality is. Uh, uh, I mean, the quality of air is getting uh, uh, worse and worse every day, and we have often a crisis of a high level of uh, particles in the air, for instance. So uh, yes, it is a very uh, actual problem. Can you give me any uh, description of, say, the magnitude of the problem or where? Where it is most, or well, for instance, it, uh, we usually uh, uh, think about uh, uh, China, for instance, about a very polluted air. But it is yes. it is a problem um, in uh, in uh, every big uh, cities. Uh, for instance, it has been considered to be uh, the one of the top priorities for uh, the mayor of Paris. Hmm. Uh, what specifically? The, uh, reducing uh, the pollution uh, of the air and. Uh, uh, avoid uh, episodes of very high concentration of particles in the air. So um, as long as we don't have a reliable uh, solution for the problem globally, uh, you can at least uh, try to enhance uh, uh, and find a solution uh, locally in the indoor environments. And so what kind of long-term effects do we see from this air pollution in, say, Paris? Well, uh, we know for sure that it has a major impact on a, a quite a, a long list of uh, uh, breathing disease and uh, it affects uh, lungs and uh, respiratory tract and so on. So it has been estimated that maybe in front something like uh, a few thousand, a few hundred thousand people every year suffer from conditions related to air quality. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Hi, could you introduce yourself? Hello, my name is Etienne Picard. I work at the RIT uh, Jules Verne, which is an institute of research uh, in technology. And uh, I'm an engineer, as a mechatronic uh, engineer in the robotics team. Now, can you tell me what you have set up at the booth right here? So, what we have here is a cable robot, which is a, a platform actuated by eight cables. Uh, each of the cables is connected to a motor and we can control the position of the platform in 3D uh, translation on rotations by uh, synchronous uh, rotations of the motors. I see. 
So it's what it, what it looks like is a large 3D printer that's cable driven, and it has a square extruded upward part that you would uh, that you are controlling moving in this space. Yes, so we can move the platform any direction, any rotation. It's quite precise. Um, what we have here is a small factor uh, prototype, but what we really intend to do is to make a much bigger one to put inside a factory with dimension of about 40 meters in each direction and which will be able to carry a total load of about 200 kilograms. And what will you do with this? So our plan is to use it for heavy industry, um, use the well, to put on a platform uh, an effector, we can do a lot of tasks. We can imagine doing uh, monitoring on very large pieces for the aircraft or uh, naval industry, for example. Do painting. Uh, we can also do pick and place if we put, uh, for example, a robotics arm or a gripper on the platform. Yeah. So there are a lot of potential uh, applications for this kind of technology. The really important point is the fact that we can precisely control the position of the platform. It's much more precise than a crane, for example, and um, it's quite reactive as well. It has what do you mean by that? It has a high di dynamic. Uh, right now, it's only a prototype. We need to work on it, determine the precision, but it's already quite effective. So it has six degrees of freedom. Yes, six degrees. In order to control six degrees, you need at least seven cables. In our case, we use eight cables, so we have one spare in case there is a problem. And what kind of a symmetric system? What kind of problems? Like a well, cable breaks? We could imagine a cable breaks. That's one of the main danger with this kind of uh, ro well cable robot, especially if you imagine the bigger prototype. So we must be careful with this. What about, uh, so for 3D printing applications and that kind of thing? You could see this as well? Well, we could imagine it as a giant 3D printer if we wanted to put an extruder. Uh, I don't know if it would be precise enough for small, well, for high-resolution uh, 3D I'm printing. Yeah. But uh, we could imagine using it for bigger pieces which require less precision, maybe fast uh, fast 3D printing if we could have an extruder on a material which is uh, larger than typical 3D printing material. I see. So like 3D printing a house or something and using extruding concrete. For... We could imagine that. What about, is there any way of getting feedback for how the platform is moving and if it's actually where you believe it is other than just the motor encoders that you're well, using? We intend on using cameras cameras to uh, look at the cables system. yes, and have a visual feedback on the system. And would that be three cameras? Uh, one for XYZ? Well, it depends if you can have a camera which also measures depth, like a Kinect. You could uh, only use a single camera and determine where the platform is with only one. But uh, having multiple cameras would be better in case there is an obstacle in the field of view. And so you mentioned that a cable may snap. Is that a common thing? Do these wear quickly, these systems? Really, we don't know yet because it's only very early prototypes. We haven't built our next demonstrator, which will be bigger. 
So we have to think about all these problems beforehand. We know it might happen, but uh, we don't have any experimental uh, results yet. And what kind of interest are you getting at this conference? Well, a lot of people are really interested by the uh, principle of uh, cable robots. The theory of cable robots has been existing for at least 20 years now, but it's never been implanted, uh, implemented into heavy industry yet. So Why? Accuracy? Reliability? Well, I can't really uh, say, but right now... I think it's uh, the time for cable robots. We are not the only one working with this technology. There is a lot of interest coming from uh, industrials, large groups interesting into this technology, and other companies are building their own uh, cable robots. It's just that it takes some time between uh, the research process to the industrial application to, to come. And so you mentioned you're building a larger prototype. What is the timeline that you expect to actually getting this technology in industry? Well, we expect to uh, build our next prototypes, which will be about 7 meters long by 4 meters uh, large and uh, 3 meters high uh, during the next few months, by the month of September. Then we will try some... Um, Well, some command onto these medium prototypes before going into uh, well, the final prototype, which will be uh, size for a factory, and which should come uh, maybe next year. Uh, I think the timeline of this project is early to the 2017 to a working robot into a factory. Very good. Thank you. No problem. Thank you. And that concludes our visit to InnoRobo 2015. This year's InnoRobo event was just held in Paris. If you were there, we hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can find all our past episodes and loads more robot-related information and articles on robohop.org. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Until then, goodbye. In a Robo with Robots, the podcast for news and views on robotics.